of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. everyone. Thank you for joining me today on the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones discussing issues related to worship, theolo- uh, theology, and uh, sometimes culture. Uh, today uh, is certainly a worship-related topic. Um, um, and, and it's really an important one. I, as a worship leader, believe that part of my role and my duty is to teach God's people, the biblical truths of worship, what worship is, what it is not. And so I want to talk today about how worship became falsely synonymous with music and what to do about it. Um, this may be a shock to you if you're listening and wonder, oh, wait a minute, how I thought worship was music. Well, I would say music is worship, but worship is not music. Um, a while back, I was having a conversation with someone and quoted um, a, a very prominent and, and influential worship theologian who has passed away. He passed away in 2007, Dr. Robert Weber, uh, and he said that worship is the key to the church's renewal. And I, I mentioned that to this person, and they said, how is music the key to the church's remu- uh, renewal? And I, I said, I did not say music, I said worship. In both Greek and Hebrew, the biblical words used for worship do not equate to music. In fact, biblical worship refers to either an attitude or a posture, or it refers to a service rendered. Uh, Abraham really used the first, um, he he employs the first use of the word worship uh, in Genesis 22.5 when he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship. And so, it really could be said, and he obviously was not referring to music. <laughs> In fact, he was referring to a sacrifice, um, and at that time he thought he was going to be sacrificing his own son. Uh, so, yeah, that's worship. In essence, it could be said that music is a small part of worship. And so, uh, worship can be sat- separated into two categories we have corporate worship, um, which is your weekly worship gathering with your local church, and you have personal worship. Uh, worship, uh, what you do in everyday life. Uh, and, and in corporate worship, the entirety of the gathering, of the weekly gathering, um, constitutes constitutes worship rather than merely the musical portions of the service. Okay, so it's not just the music in the service that is worship. Um, I have heard people... Um, sometimes leave church and say, man, the worship was so good today. I think what they meant is the music would was good um, and, and probably don't realize it. But how did the word worship become synonymous with music? Uh, historical records of worship throughout the centuries reveal that the church has considered all aspects of, of the worship gathering uh, to encompass the whole of worship. In other words, the prayers, the sermons, communion. I had somebody recently that uh, told me that communion is not an act of worship. I was baffled by that. Uh, what is it then? It is certainly an ordinance, and baptism is an ordinance. They are certainly acts of worship 
in the local church. And so I have four ideas for how the terms worship and music became synonymous in people's minds. And, and I have some suggestions on how to counter this false connection. So the first thing, how did it, how did it get this way? How did we get to this point? Lingo. Lingo is a huge thing. Worship leaders or worship pastors of local churches are almost always um, musicians, often classically trained in formal educational institutions, which lends congregants to assume an equality between music and worship. Uh, that's not there. People often fail to realize that while the worship leader's job heavenly involves music, it does not only involve music, but rather everything that encompasses the worship experiences of a local church. And so with an incorrect assumption, local churches have naturally created a lingo that assumes sameness with worship and music. And so although it's very unintentional, <laughs> people don't do this on purpose, we really see uh, an obvious example of this in our discussions of worship. As I mentioned um, earlier, one of the most obvious examples is when you're leaving church and someone says the worship was good today. Um, it, it probably would be not be wrong to assume that they're referring to the music. Maybe sometimes they're not, but uh, um, in, in context, usually they're referring to music. But the entire service includes many acts of worship other than music. Even our worship planning resources that we have fail in this area. For example, Planning Center Online distinguishes between worship and the sermon. The reality is that sermon is part of worship as well. And so perhaps the unintentionality is part of the problem. By adopting such implicative language, local churches begin to perceive worship in a misleading manner. And so lingo has played a significant role in the false assumptions of what amounts to worship. And so we need to change the lingo. So uh, the second way, second idea I have of how we got to this point is Christian industry and publications and productions. Um, they have played a weighty part in paralleling worship with music. In the music industry, Christian artists often record and produce so-called worship albums. Um, for a while, that was the trend. If you're a big-name Christian artist, you had to eventually record a worship album. Articles, books, journals, they publish material that discusses worship only in the context of music and even radio and television programs designate worship-related material to the worship uh, 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 to the worship category, music-related material. I'm sorry, uh, to the um, worship category, and so uh, doing this further contributes to the already false assumptions that, that Christians have regarding definitive worship. Christian industry already uses incorrect lingo and then acts by forcing a synonymous meaning between worship and music that really isn't there and shouldn't be there. And this does not represent biblical worship, uh, nor does it help uh, the church in, in understanding the vitality of worship. When it's limited to just music, it's so thin, and worship is a vital part of the church. Now, the third thought I have for how we got to this point is celebrity communication. And so this sort of stems from Christian industry that I just talked about. Christian celebrities often speak of worship in terms of music. Uh, one of the most apparent examples is gospel recording artists who discuss worship as it often relates to their ministries 
of music. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but it's sort of implanted in people the idea that worship is music. And so music is but a fraction of worship. But what churches observe when they hear Christian celebrities, and and honestly, even pastors and theologians sometimes, uh, and it baffles me that these are people that have studied this, um, they, they hear people speak of worship as music. And so the connection between worship and music becomes involuntarily ingrained and embedded in believers' minds. Certainly, there is music used for worship, and congregational singing is a vital part of the church's worship gatherings. It is wrong, however, to assume that, that worship is equal to music when really it's only a part of the whole. And so celebrity Christians and gospel artists often contribute to this false supposition without even realizing it. A third way, or sorry, a fourth way that we, I think, got there is lack of theological training. And I'm sort of working backwards here. The root cause that I talked about was lingo. Um, But my final suggestion is the lack of theological training among pastors and worship leaders. And I might also suggest that more the blame belongs to the pastors and preachers than the church musicians, although I think both are at fault in some way. I'm not referring merely to a lack of formal education. That's not what I'm talking uh, talking about. But I'm talking about the overall deficiency of a desire to learn among church leaders. Uh, Congregants are generally more readily willing to listen to pastors than church musicians for whatever reason. Um, In fact, it baffles me and it it has frustrated me in the past um, how, um, how demeaning people are towards church musicians sometimes as if they have nothing to offer and, and what they do is not important. Wrong as it may be, the common assumption is that a church musician does not possess the same theological understanding or ability to teach, as does the lead pastor. Um, my ministry is both pastoral in nature, and, and I do preach as well. And so um, I would uh, obviously refute that claim and that belief. Uh, but in my observations, the lead pastor often does not consider the topic of worship to be priority when really it is of primary importance and it is the key to the church's renewal. When you understand that and understand what it is, it begins to make sense. And so one cannot teach the biblical truths of worship without first understanding them. There are far too many leaders in today's churches that don't understand these truths and they contribute greatly to the false equation between worship and music. And so worship leaders and pastors alike should work to know, understand, and to realize the importance of worship, what it is, and how to teach it to local churches. And so without changing the way we think about worship, which begins with the lead pastors, we will not change the way we talk about it. Um, so what to do about it? We've, we've gotten to this point. What do we do about it? Um, it won't be fast. It won't be overnight. But I have three things I think will help church leaders be proactive in changing the tide of communication about worship. First thing is, go back to lingo. Change the lingo. <laughs> Change the lingo. Lingo is at the root of these issues surrounding wrong beliefs about worship. So changing the lingo, it shouldn't be subconscious, but it should be very intentional. When communication is important, we present it with purpose. In other, uh, and I'll give you some examples: formal presentations that you're giving for business, academic 
papers, uh, court proceedings. These things are not things that you flippantly talk about. You know what you are saying and you are purposeful in it. And so even in casual conversation, church leaders need to strive to present accurate thoughts, ideas, and theologies about worship. Words that may seem minute still imply particular concepts and ideas. Um, for, For example, congregants' minds usually perceive the difference between a platform and a stage without realizing it. I don't say the word stage. In my church, there is not a stage there. There is a platform. These words imply particular things, and sometimes people don't even realize it, but changing the lingo is going to help. And so when we, when we purposely discuss music solely as music and worship in broader terms than merely music, people's minds will shift, and over time, they will understand the essence of corporate worship. So the lingo has to change. Second thing I think we can do to counter this is worship leaders need to train congregations. Um, This is a responsibility of worship leaders. We're called to train, to lead. Uh, It seems that many churches don't realize the need for worship training. It's it's as if it's a theological issue that human beings have already naturally perfected, and we obviously haven't. While the the act of worship is natural. In other words, we all worship someone or something, albeit right or wrong. We continue to become better worshipers in our sanctification process. And so the idea that believers don't need to be taught how to worship is erroneous. And so uh, worship leaders should take seriously their job to teach God's people the biblical, theological, and even the historical truths of worship and, and should desire to be taught themselves. And so the process is unending. Until we're with Christ, we will not be perfect worshipers, but we are getting better. And if we don't realize the need to train congregations, few will. And the, the third thing and the last thing I would say to counter this is pastors, lead pastors, senior pastors must understand biblical worship. And without lead pastors rediscovering the primary responsibility of God, uh, God's people to worship him, uh, local churches will not achieve their their primary purpose, namely glorifying God. That is the primary purpose of the church. And so a church's spirituality is revealed in how they worship corporately. If you want to see how deep a church is spiritually, uh, look at their worship practices. It will say a lot. Weak worship likely imp- implies weak spirituality. And so I, I would even suggest that spirituality is derived from worship. In other words, a, ch- a local church's spirituality is directly derived from their worship pa- uh, practices, which are derived from their beliefs about worship. As you are formed as a worshiper, you are formed spiritually. Pastors, the unquestionable leaders of local churches, should be the primary proponents of biblical worship and really should seek to teach that worship is not synonymous with music, but rather embodies so much more than that. Without the pastor's leadership in this area, we will not correct the wrong ideas that people have about worship and we'll, we'll instead further contribute to it. And, and what we have right now is weak, baseless, unbiblical. Worship is not music. Um, the final thing I would say about this, and, and I've said it several times in no uncertain terms, is that worship is primary. So I've given you four reasons, four ways we got to this point. And, and, and how the term worship, the thoughts about worship have been tainted 
But I've also given you three ways to counter these wrong beliefs about worship. Um, Music is a small part of worship, but it's not the whole. Church leaders, pastors, we should all take critically the job of facilitating worshiping communities. We are not called just to create worship experiences. We're called to create um, and, and facilitate worshiping communities. And so this endeavor will not be achieved if local church members continue to misunderstand worship. So let us sing faithfully, pray faithfully, preach faithfully, and let us participate in every act of worship faithfully because worship is a primary responsibility of the church. It is not secondary. It's not third, fourth, fifth on the list. It is a primary responsibility and everything else stems from the governing goal of worshiping God. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.